hi uh yeah <clears throat> still haven't figured out how to do intros after god knows how many episodes and god knows how many how many brain cells that have been killed off by this wonderful project welcome to the brain cube podcast episode i want to say 23 but it's probably not let me check this is something that i should have done beforehand not gonna lie this was really dumb it's episode 24 all right i was close but yeah um (laughs) so you may have noticed that i did not make an episode last week and that is because i was working on this um this script has five pages all of which i poured my heart soul blood sweat and other body bodily fluids into it i did not come up with that joke that was something from gravity falls please don't slap me um yeah the flint michigan water crisis good stuff good stuff it's it's not um and i know that i said that i would have someone to discuss this with me but i do not (laughs) uh so yeah i guess sit back relax please try not to cringe at me and uh enjoy let's get into it um if you hear me shuffling my notes that's because i actually have five pages uh of printed notes because i wrote all this down or i typed all this in google docs uh link in the description for my episode notes which i've never done before because i did not ever type them out in google docs but because this because this is actually like a pretty long script um It just, it took, I'm glad that, uh, it, uh, I was able to type it out because it would take probably about four times as long to write it all out. So, yeah, I guess let's, uh, oopsie daisy, let's get into it. So, if you followed any humanitarian issue news since 2014, you've probably heard of the, uh, the Flint water crisis. Um, The series of events that occurred was a serial system of blunders on the behalf of saving money. Um, It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, This is kind of how a lot of um, humanitarian issues start, is because the the officials in charge of wherever uh, these issues are taking place and these crises are taking place, uh, they're just interested in saving money. Um, so pretty much every time, or just like I was saying, uh, pretty much every time government officials try to cut costs by finding cheaper, questionable alternatives, bad things tend to happen. So, in order to, uh, kind of understand why the city of Flint made this decision, uh, to switch their water source, which we'll be talking about later, we need some background as to why. So, all this started back in 2014, as I said. 
this was a highly impoverished city. Um, about 39% of the population lived in poverty to date, and this number was much higher back in 2014, which was seven years ago. <laughs> Practically seven years ago, but yeah. <clears throat> um, in 2019, the average income per capita, per capita or per person in Flint is only $17,086. Um, now, I, do, I forget what the national average is, but it's definitely higher than this. Uh, Flint has the highest poverty rate of cities uh, with a population over 65,000 people in the United States. Uh, the city actually surpassed the national average in lots of poverty stats. Uh, the best example, and I think the most extreme, so maybe not the best, but the best ones who are kind of, kind of, uh, I guess, show how bad this situation is, um, is that, uh, the childhood poverty rate, uh, and this, uh, is children under the age of 18, because obviously it's when you turn 18, that's when you become an adult. Uh, the national, uh, the national average of the childhood poverty rate is 18% of all children. You want to guess what Flint is? It's 58%. That means the majority of kids in Flint, or a, a slight majority, yes, but a majority nonetheless, around 60% of children in Flint grow up in impoverished homes. Um, <clears throat> that means if you line up, if you were to line up 10 children from Flint, uh, then choose one at random, you would have about a 60% chance of uh, picking a child who whose family lives under the poverty line. It's, it's uh, not good stuff. <laughs> not at all. Um, just like lots of other impoverished cities around the nation, uh, a lack of planning economic diversity a lack of planning, economic diversity, and uh, financial aid from the government has led to a decline in wealth over time. And although the situation is improving in Flint, it's still pretty bad. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> uh, in the 1960s and 70s, the city transitioned to, an, uh, to a rough economic model Created by Charles Pebeu, is that how I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's P I E B O U T, Pebeu, 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 Pebeu. I'm just gonna call him. I'm just gonna say Pebeu. Uh, that encouraged competition rather than the co uh, this economic. I'm sorry. This economic model uh, encouraged competition rather than the cooperation of local governments to attract investors and residents. Again, just like lots of other impoverished cities around America, Flint's organizations and governments fought for financial resources, impacting the entire population, driving the net worth per capita way down. 
um, you'll hear about this uh, when you hear about other like extremely uh, poor cities uh, that there aren't enough funds to sustain all of the uh, basically all of the organizations and uh, kind of departments of the uh, the city government so these organizations and departments end up uh, competing and fighting for resources or for financial resources uh, which doesn't really help them much <laughs> um, so there's not really a good way to go about this except to try and get the government to give you more funds plus if you happen to move out of a flint uh, out of flint uh, you you would have no further incentive besides free will and kindness to aid in its situation, so many will move on and let Flint as a whole continue to decline. Uh, <laughs> this is a really big problem because all the people who can afford to move away from Flint and even a lot of those who can't, they just um or they. And I'm not necessarily saying it's their fault, but uh, they're just leaving behind the less fortunate to uh, deal with their situation, and they can't really do anything. And I'm now going to take a sip of water and uh, try to get some clog, clog, clogging out of my out of my nose. I probably should have taken an allergy pill before this. <coughs> I apologize. Um, this is actually, uh, back, back to what we were talking about, how people are moving away. Uh, this is actually how the majority of the, um, of their financial issues started, in my opinion. Um, again, the, the economic situation of Flint isn't very different from other poverty-ridden cities, so this won't sound unfamiliar, which is kind of like a lot of Flint's situation. Um, obviously not the water crisis, because that doesn't happen very much anymore, I hope not. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna go blow my nose. <laughs> Just gonna cut this out, probably. General Motors had the largest company influence in Flint due to a large factory that supplied the majority of jobs, but when the decline of General Motors in Flint reached critical instability, uh, the company shut down its warehouse and factory, leaving thousands of people without jobs. Um, this caused lots of people and, and most of the time their families to, uh, to leave en masse. Uh, and then they left behind an impoverished, collapsing society in their wake. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. So now we're on to Flint switching its water source. Uh, so talking about how the majority of the city is impoverished, uh, that gives us a good background as to why, uh, 
what is about to happen in the timeline is about to happen. The government of Flint changes its water source. Uh, now, this was purely done to, uh, to cut costs and find a closer water source, or a water supply. Um, so, yeah, there are no other more sinister motives that can be proven. Um, so conspiracy theorists can just go like, go like, <laughs> FML, please stay and follow my podcast. But, yeah, yeah, no, th- there's, there's not, there's not a conspiracy theory on this one. Or, well, there probably is, but I, d- I don't think there are any, uh, majorly proven ones. Uh, so Flint's government switches the city's water from Detroit and Lake Huron, uh, to the Flint River. This, they insist that this change will only be temporary as they look at better options for sourcing water closer to Flint. This hints that officials may have already been a bit skeptical about using the river as the city's source of water, at least in my eyes, because if it's, if it's only going to be temporary, um, even if they thought it, or even if they mostly thought it was safe, if it, if, if you already thought that it was going to be very safe, then why not just stick with it? So, this already signals, this, this kind of brings up a red flag in my mind. Um, pollutants in the water. The Flint River could be called a crisis by itself. <laughs> I'm quoting from The Verge, which is an online magazine. Factories and people have been dumping sewage chemicals and road salt in the Flint River for more than a century. And this is just the header to the article. Um, again, this is nothing new. Underfunded factory towns are having the same problems across the U.S. Um, and I could do a whole episode on that if I wanted to. But I don't really. <laughs> uh, water from the river needs consistent, extreme, and vigorous treatment in order to be safe to drink. So let's go through what needs to be addressed in these treatments. Um, first and foremost, just like any water, bacteria is the number one concern. Uh, bacteria can cause illnesses such as hepatitis and Legionnaire's disease, uh, which is not yet which is not yet a podcast alum, but it soon will be. <laughs> um, to treat harmful bacteria, the chlorine chemical is added. Um, so you've probably heard uh, of chlorine. It's often used to combat bacteria buildup in swimming pools. Um, or if you listen to 21 Pilots' album French, there's a song about chlorine. So, yeah. <laughs> um, to, uh, to treat, uh, where was, okay, uh, where was I? Uh, it's, it's often used to combat bacteria built up in swimming pools. Uh, while it is effic- effective in killing most bacteria, it can reach, or it can react, I'm sorry, can react with other organic materials in the water to form carcinogenic byproducts. And carcinogens are basically any type of radionuclides, don't ask me what they are, 
or radiation that causes cancer. Um, if you were drinking this stuff, you could be at a much higher risk of getting some type of cancer than you would just going or just drinking regular water. Uh, one of these byproducts is known as trihalomethane. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a trippy little thing. Uh, trihalomethane contains chloroform, actually, which is toxic, and also a carcinogen in of itself. Um, you've probably also heard of chloroform. Uh, in, in, like, in spy movies, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll put chloroform, or they'll soak a, a rag in chloroform and then hold it up against someone's mouth um, so they breathe it in and pass out. But in reality, it's far more deadly than just a sedative. You do not want to uh, ingest this stuff. Uh, chlorine also makes the water more acidic, which corrodes pipes, and often the then flakes of pipes that have gotten loose will be in the water the pipes are carrying. Uh, this is why people are so scared of lead pipes, and uh, why there aren't very many left in the country that haven't been replaced. Um, lead, lead poisoning is very, very serious. Uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. And now I need to rehydrate. And I have a crunch of water on speed. Alright, I've really should have taken the allergy pill before this. <laughs> so, speaking of corrosion, uh, federal law mandates that all drinking water being served to large cities be treated with anti-corrosive agents. Um, as you can guess by looking at how much worse things will get from here, uh, it was not treated either by incompetence, lack of funds, uh, or something else, or both. Like, you could just pull a, a dynamic duo of whammies. Uh, <laughs> so this just makes me want to shout, like, you should have stayed with Detroit water! Like, it, sure, it may, it may been like sourced a, a ways away but it, it was far less problematic than Flint River water um, and of course stagnation at any point uh, of this process increases the rates of bacteria growth and stagnation is basically when water will uh, sit sit still like often uh, mosquitoes will uh, lay their eggs in stagnant water This is why they tell you not to drink still water. Uh, like, if you were taking a survival class, they would tell you that you should not drink from, like, a pond that has no water flow. You could drink from a river, but not a pond. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they tell you not to drink still water because of all the bad things that can grow in it. Uh, it, this seems pretty bad, doesn't it? Like, there are so many things that can go wrong. Um, that's because there are, and the majority of them do. Yeah. Majority of them do. Uh, to quote again from The Verge, immediately after switching to the Flint River, Flint's drinking water spiked in bacteria and trihalomethane readings. A Flint area outbreak of Legionnaire's disease, which 
I now consider to be an episode Alan. <laughs> oh, good old Le Legionnaire's disease had an outbreak uh, that also coincided with the switch, causing at least ten deaths. Uh, the acidic water corroded the old lead pipes along with other heavy metals. Lead seeped into the drinking supply, where it caused widespread lead poisoning. Woo! Not good. I know I've talked about this a lot, uh, but let's just pile a couple more issues on top of all the rest. Uh, the Flint River was far more polluted and harder to treat than Lake Huron, which was the main uh, source of Flint's water from 1974 to 2014, which came from Detroit. Uh, the pollutants came from four main sources. Natural biological waste, treated industrial and human waste, likely to come from the General Motors factory, uh, untreated human waste, either accidentally or intentionally dumped into the river, uh, and other contaminants washed in from rain or snow, often in the winter, so, which is like the road salts and sand uh, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, on top of this, the flow was the flow of the river was slower than Lake Huron, and the water was warmer, meaning there was a much better chance of bacteria growth than with Lake Huron's water. Uh, lead pipes. <laughs> uh, I've mentioned earlier that lead pipes are very dangerous, and that people are very afraid of them, at least if you're smart. Uh, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, lead is a very, it, it's a very heavy metal, it can also easily get into uh, into sorbent uh, areas such as water. Um, the main example that I can think of is uh, a tomato. Um, back in uh, in the Renaissance and uh, in medieval days, um, people would make lead plates for food, and uh, if you put a tomato on them, then some of that lead, or if it was soft enough. Uh, could get into your tomato and cause lead poisoning. Uh, so a lot of people for a long time thought that tomatoes were poisonous, but they were not. It's the lead. Uh, <laughs> lead pipes were, fu were first used in America around uh, 1754, but they have shown up in countless other settlements such as medieval kingdoms and even Rome. Lead is a very toxic metal, to quote from the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or the NIOSH, N-I-O-S-H, I'm just going to call it the NIOSH for now. <laughs> uh, exposure to high levels of lead may cause anemia, weakness, and kidney and brain damage. Uh, very high lead exposure can cause death. Lead can cross the placental border which means pregnant women who are exposed to lead also expose their unborn child. Lead can damage a developing baby's nervous system. Even low-level lead, er, low lead exposures in developing babies have been found to affect behavior and intelligence. Not the best thing to put in your systems! <laughs> uh, now, regular water running through well-restored lead pipes isn't inherently dangerous, and of course, when I say this, don't get the idea that it's a good idea. Avoid lead pipes at all costs. Do not use lead pipes. I'm just saying that you, if you have non-corrosive water and a hardened 
lead pipes that are not likely to break if not as dangerous as flint lead pipes. But don't don't do it, please. Don't don't use lead pipes. Um but as I've mentioned earlier, the water of Flint was not normal. Uh, due to the massive bacteria growths that concentrate in the Flint River, massive amounts of chlorine were added to the water to kill off the bacteria, which makes the water very acidic, also known as corrosive. Uh, the then corrosive water flowing through really, really old lead pipes that probably haven't been replaced since they were laid uh, means that parts of the pipe shave off into the water. Uh, the maximum allowed amount of lead in water that is non-toxic is uh, 50 micrograms per liter. Uh, in one extreme case, the home of one Leanne Walters, resident of Flint, Michigan, had a lead concentration of 104 micrograms per liter in her water, uh, which was supplied by the city of Flint. Uh, now, even if there was a small amount of lead in your water compared to the safe amount, or if it was just over that, lead can still do serious damage to children, if not adults, although lead seriously harms both. Uh, lead can also accumulate in your body, since it can't always be processed quickly, leading to an increased amount in your body. Um, I'm quoting from an online document from Oregon State Health Experts. Uh, lead enters the body primarily through inhalation and ingestion of lead-containing dust. Once, the, once in the body, lead travels in the blood to soft tissues such as liver, kidneys, lungs, brain, spleen, muscles, and heart. I gotta take a breath after that one. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, the body does not change lead in, into any other form, meaning that it is not in no way beneficial. Uh, once it is taken in and distributed to the organs, the lead that is not stored in the bones is eliminated slowly from the body by the kidneys and gastrointestinal tract. Negligible amounts of lead are lost through perspiration, which means not very much. Uh, about 99% of the amount of lead taken into the body of an adult will leave in the waste within a couple of weeks, but only about 32% of the lead taken into the body of a child will leave in the waste. The half-life of lead varies from about a month in blood, 1.15 months in soft tissues, and about 25 to 30 years in bone. Uh, lead is only one of the many surging health risks posed by uh, by drinking Flint River water. And that last part was unquote, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so that means that lead, if delivered to the bone, uh, or if, con if consistently delivered to the bone, can accumulate. Uh, and it has about 25 to 30 years to do so. So it, 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 it's going to stay there. It, it's going to stay there. Um, people start to notice this. Uh, obviously, none of this goes unnoticed by health officials or just regular citizens. Um, I'm quoting for, from AP News, which actually has uh, maybe not a complete timeline, 
and I know I said complete timeline on my notes, but, uh, you know, uh, it has a pretty, uh, it has a pretty, uh, conclusive timeline, uh, yeah, it, it has a very complete timeline of the major events that take place in, in this story, um, I highly recommend checking this out of the art, er, checking out the article if you're interested, um, and I used a lot of the information to help make this episode. Alright, so, quote, Residents immediately complain about the smell, taste, and appearance of the water, and raise, and raise health concerns, reporting rashes, hair loss, and other problems, unquote. Um, if you look up mint tap water or anything similar, you'll see what people are complaining about. Like, this is rust-colored water. It's not good. Um, but there are other pipe issues. Uh, hopefully, not all of the pipes in Flint were made of lead, but even if none of them were, pipes would still be an issue. Uh, many of the pipes in Flint hadn't been replaced for a very long time, due to the aforementioned poverty of the entire city and different departments competing for funds. This means that many of the pipes could easily corrode, making it very likely that other heavy metals such as copper and iron made their way into the drinking water of Flint citizens. Uh, and copper and iron is definitely not something that you want to ingest. Denial. In January of 2015, Detroit offers to reconnect Flint to its water system, but the city officials deny, saying that the river water is safe. Then in September, a group of doctors urges city officials in Flint to stop using the river water due to them finding high levels of lead in children's blood. To repeat from earlier, lead is toxic to everyone, but children are exceptional, er, especially and exceptionally susceptible to lead poisoning effects. However, the city officials once again say that the water is perfectly safe to drink. It is not by any means safe. Finally, five, day, five days after the doctors make their plea, which is at least one year after, after Flint makes their switch, Governor, Governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, says he will take action. This is the first acknowledgement that there's been something wrong with Flint's water from the state of Michigan. Protective measures. Uh, <laughs> this could not have come soon enough. Snyder announces, er, that could not have come soon enough. Uh, unfortunately. Snyder announces that the, snape, that the state will spend approximately $1 million to buy water filters and test the water quality in Flint schools. So they're, while they may not be exactly fixing the problem, they are addressing it, which is nice. Uh, what happens next is an actual recognition of the horrors that, led, er, that the people in Flint have been going through during this crisis. Snyder and Michigan legislature approved nearly $9.5 million in aid, uh, including $6 million to aid the transition and the switch back to Detroit's water supply. 
at least three people were fired due to evidence tampering, among other crimes. This is no surprise, though it should have happened much sooner. In August, the federal emergency declaration over the situation was ended, uh, and it was actually declared. I guess I didn't write that in. I feel stupid now. <laughs> Uh, but state officials warn there is much work, much more work to be done to end the crisis. After testing the water in early December, experts say that they have found no detectable of lead, uh, er, no detectable amounts of lead in approximately 57% of the city's households. But that isn't nearly enough to be considered a safe water area. Um, on December 10th. Congress approved a wide-ranging bill that sends $170 million to aid in stripping uh, lead from state's water. Six days later, a federal investigation is quietly ended, laying the blame on both state officials and the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. This investigation had lasted a year, and it came to a similar conclusion that the state of Michigan did earlier which is that the state is morally responsible for the Flint water crisis. On December 20th, the Attorney General of the time, I hope that I'm pronouncing this right, Bill Schwetz, S-C-H-V-E-T-T-E, Schwetz, Schutz, Schwetz, charges former emergency managers Darnell Searley, Gerald Ambrose with multiple felonies, uh, each charge landing them an additional 20 years in prison. This crisis revealed multiple officials to be corrupt and able to neglect their duties. Uh, to quote AP News one more time, Michigan Health and Human Services Director Nick Ryan is accused of failing to alert the public about an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in the Flint area. He and four others were charged with involuntary manslaughter. The state's chief medical officer, Dr. Eden Wells, is charged with obstruction of justice and lying to an investigator. Unquote. Uh, and now we're at the end. Over five years from 2014 to 2019, the Flint water crisis was a, was a series of critical errors on the part of city and state officials that put their residents through living hell. This is how 12 people died and at least 80 got sick from Legionnaire's disease, and how a poor city ended up spending at least $641 million on the situation. And a lot of people had to spend a lot of money uh, to subsist, or uh, to subsist, 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 I'm sorry, uh, pretty much entirely uh, water-wise, anyway, off of bottled water for five years. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not good, but that is, uh, is where we end the story at the, for the moment. Um, so next up is the introduction. This is a really sad story. Like, too deep even for me. And I, and I did an incomplete history on the, on the, uh, the atom bomb. So yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> this is a really bad situation, and I feel bad for everyone that had to go through it.
Hey, have you ever felt like I missed something in a previous episode? Or maybe you need to ask me a question? Any of these things. If you need to do so, you can email me at braincube.podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's braincube.podcast at gmail.com. And if you feel like written words aren't enough, then you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm backslash braincube. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash braincube. And if you do either of the following, you may have a chance to win some prime time in the next episode. Now, if you feel like you need to see some extra content, such as deleted takes, insiders, and much more, you can go to my blog, which is at bigbrainy.wixsite.com backslash braincube. I know that's a mouthful. The links are all in my podcast description if you need to find them. Now back to the episode. Frosty, uh, have a good summer, and I will catch you on the flip side.